5 o'clock, and you're listening to This Week in Moab here on KZNU. I'm Christy Williams-Dunton, your host today, and it's all about the healing properties of space, meaning right here on Earth, right here in the Colorado Plateau. We're speaking to author John Fahey about his new book. We're speaking also with some of the people putting on mental health hikes at Canyonlands Field Institute. All this today and more on This Week in Moab. We're going to take a meander with M. John Fahey, who first arrived in New Mexico's rugged Gila country when he was 20 years old. A meandering memoir with Fahey and his loyal dog Casey at his side. There's some magical things about a meander through the landscape of the Colorado Plateau and the southwest of the U.S. Um, We have a memoir with John Fahey, who first arrived in New Mexico's rugged Gila country when he was 20 years old and says he didn't know the difference between a javelina from an enchilada. Uh, He said much has changed in the intervening half-century He comes to terms with many things in this walk, and we are going to call him up now and see what writing this book was all about. Hey, John, how are you? Doing okay, doing okay. We finally have hooked up after all these years. Amazing, amazing. I'm uh, grateful for it. I had so much fun reading the book. And you're going to be here in Moab, Utah, at the Grand County Library on the 23rd of September, I do believe. That's what I have written down <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a beer-stained piece of paper that's right in front of me right now. And, and I think it's at 5.30, um, but but maybe maybe we each ought to check on that because uh, it's been changed a, a couple of times. But most recently, I wrote 5.30. And it's also it's at the library, but it's being... I don't know if the correct term is co-sponsored, but by Back of Beyond Books. Um, so they're actually the, the the book provider at the event. And I don't know if co-sponsored is the correct term, but they're they're involved in this. Well, we can call it uh, co-creative partners, I would say. And, uh, you know, there are so many things that are synchronous and wonderful. The theme for tonight's show is... Uh, self-evident and it has to do with mental health through movement uh cfi Canyonlands field institute is uh presenting mental health uh hikes and so we're going to be talking about that along with the uh science around because it's sort of it's a scientific institute as well they'll have professionals that are using this data uh that's now pretty voluminous uh, showing that the quickest way to get to a healthy kind of um, homeostatic state, a, a decompressed state, is the most discursive, winding, uneven earth you can find. And ideally, if it's by some sort of not straight line of water, faster come these sort of neural benefits and so it's sort of a heady place to start from. But you, in making this book, decided I'm turning 60. I'm looking the Grim Reaper right in the face. Or at least I can see him from here. Something like that. Yeah. And out of that, you wrote a book that Mimbrez 
Press put out together, and it is called A Long Tangent. Yes, it's Long Tangent, and I have a copy in my hand, so it's, it's a fit book. Musings by an old man and his young dog hiking every day for a year. And the foreword is by somebody you're familiar with in Moab, a guy named Craig Childs, um, who was gracious enough to write a foreword for my book. I loved his foreword, and I think he says it really well with uh, who you are and how your voice takes us through all of this crooked and straight forest. You saw an awful lot of things in this uh, year-long quest. You had to be so resolute, and you hit your resistance on the very first day. It's it, uh, uh, quite an amazing tale, really, even though, as you say, you know, you're pretty uh, kind of almost apologetic about it. You know, it's like, no, it's a thoughts that are strung together almost step by step. I found some uh, real pearls that came from your walks. Um, what do you want to say about how that grew you up and where it took you? Is there any kind of global takeaway besides a kind of bruised ankle? <laughs> well, the, the ankle thing was... Uh... Well, presented a little bit of challenge and came about because I was going to, as as I was rock hopping across the creek, I was going to land on a rattlesnake. So I decided to take a vase of action that, uh, in my in my increasing decrepitude, didn't work out so well. So, yep, a bad a bad ankle came uh, came from that. Um, I I think that um, when I when I was getting ready to turn sixty, and then this this hike took place a few years ago now. Um, this this year long quest. Uh, it, it was sobering because it's the life expectancy of, of an of an American male of my ethnicity and my zip code is somewhere in the mid seventies, late seventies. So it was the first it was the first time that I, I I dipped my toe in the decade that touched the decade that contained my expiration date, and and you know that's that's a pretty sobering thing, um, and I I think that the main thing that I got out of this. And I wasn't trying to think too much. I wasn't trying. I wasn't trying to sully this experience by ascribing some sort of deep, ponderous overlay to every step I took. I was I was hiking, enjoying myself, and letting my mind wander. But I think that one of the things that I, I, I one conclusion that I reached was that I had really I have really let my life become too heavy. I mean, as, as we age, we we naturally find ourselves with car payments and mortgages and having to deal with the IRS and just all these things that, that when you're 20 years old, you could never have imagined. And, and, and I think I've let myself just get too heavy. And by the end of the book, I was, I was realizing that I need to, I need to start getting rid of stuff. I need to start becoming more like I was when I was young. And that's a weird, that's a weird conclusion. Cause when I was young, I was pretty much a screw up. But I, but I obviously had some things together. I didn't let myself get weighed down by possessions, by obligations, um, by by the things that you're supposed to be and do when, as you get older. Um, so maybe that's a cop out, but I don't think it is. And, and we've been traveling more since since I wrote this book. We've been you know talking about ways to change our life. And when I say we, I mean my wife and myself. Um, so any, anyway, that was the basic conclusion that. Um, when, when I find myself having a choice of an adult responsibility or going for a hike, I'm going to go for a hike. I'm not going to let, let myself get cornered by mowing the lawn and dealing with the IRS. I'm going to go for a hike. Does that make sense? 
Uh, it really does, but um, it is such a uh, gosh. It's almost like a wet slap. The uh, the you got to wake up and do it. That's really you got to face some resistance almost every day, even if it's something you want to do, don't you? Yeah, I mean, not just me. I mean, most of us. Um, you know, adulthood is not for everybody, and and. I only really started feeling like an adult, you know, as, as I as I entered middle age, and, and so so I'm certainly not as deep in the morass of, of adult responsibilities as a lot of my contemporaries, but I'm dumb deep enough for for me. I mean, I, you know, we own a house. I there's domestic reasons. I spent the winter working on a kitchen update. And it's like, why did I do that? I could have I could have gone to South America, and and. and so so anyway, that that's the main thing that I that I, I came away with that year long experience. I really didn't start trying to ascribe any heaviness to the experience until toward the end, and and that's what I came away with. Not all of us are meant to be traditional grown ups, and I'm I fall into that category. Well, I do too. I just want to say there are a couple of things that you and I have in common, so in common, and the beautiful thing about people that write books is that you can feel. Uh, yourself not alone in the world and that there are understandings that, you know, I'm not the only free-range child out there. Um, I also have no tattoos. My vehicle is adorned with nary a bumper sticker either. I also uh, wonder whether or not I I exist for I don't have company logos. So... Uh, you know, day 283, I was like, oh, he knows me. Well, what was day 283? The tattoo's worth? Yep. Yeah, I know I don't have the, the book directly in front of me, but yeah, and, and the thing is, we, we definitely have a lot of kindred spirits in the mountain time zone in the American West. I mean, this is this is a place that's sort of thick with, with people who have chosen to take a different path. Um, and and this does, and I don't mean to indicate that for a second that we we have leave as quote unquote grown ups to be completely childish all the time. I mean, you you still have to be a, a responsible human being, uh, but you don't have you don't have to buy into the into the into the the dominant paradigm that's been defining our our society. The West is full of people who live in school buses and you know river raft instead of working. 40 hours a week and stuff. So, so it's, it's not like I'm in, I don't know, someplace in Pennsylvania or something like that where people are going to look at me funny. Uh, we, we, we do have a lot of free spirits and free range people in, in the West. Thank goodness. I'm just going to spark your memory about this as you don't have the days kind of memorized or anything. It's, it's I'm sure, kind of a blur. But talk for a minute, uh, as long as we're talking about this cohort, this demographic of people that have, uh, you know, cast their lot with this land. Tell me about the sort of tradition of nicknaming the mountain roaming hikers, that group, that subset of people, like Jumpin' Jack. And uh, yeah, Yeah, I I found myself after doing a reading in Aspen the other night um, at at a bar with a a fellow through hiker who I, a fellow long distance backpacker who I just met that day. She is, I, I didn't know her beforehand. And we did, we did talk about the, the uh, about then, then they're, and they're technically called trail handles. And they, they went in my, I started doing long distance hiking when I hiked the Appalachian trail in 79. 
And at that time, there were, um, I, I would say, and I think I have it in the book, I would, I would say, I don't know, a quarter or certainly less than a half of the hikers on the trail had trail handles. And this is a, a trail-oriented nickname. And mine was Jumpin' Jack, the hallucinogenic hiker. And, and there were a few few others, but most people just went down the trail with a name given to them at birth, you know, Amy or Fred or whatever it was. And as you probably know, long-distance backpacking is booming in the U.S. right now. It is absolutely... Where I, where I live in New Mexico, the Continental Divide Trail goes right through town. And... and the Pacific Crest Trail, the Divide Trail, the Appalachian Trail, and and any number of when the U.S. leads the world in long distance backpacking trails, and it is booming. It's going crazy right now with with increased participation. And hand in hand with that is the fact that almost everybody has a trail handle, and some are some are self self bequeathed, and some of them are externally bequeathed, and and it, it really does give people the opportunity to adopt an altered ego for the duration of their backpacking trip. Now, what's different from, from the, the old days when I, when I was young is the fact that a lot of people take these, take these trail handles with them off the trail. Now it used to, it used to be that once you left the trail, you left your trail handle behind. And, and there are people now actually like legally changing their name to Windwalker or whatever their, their tra- trail handle was, which I find to be kind of humorous. Um, but, but it, it, it is a very Western kind of thing in my mind in that it, it, sort of celebrates the, uh, the, the, the concept of self reinvention. Um, and even if it's only for a few months, that's pretty cool. You can kind of be whoever you want. Somebody said the other day that when you're hiking one of these long trails, you're, you're a hero of the trail and you can give yourself a, a, a new nickname, a new trail handle. And that's, that's a pretty cool thing. It's a very cool thing. And there's a lot you can recognize in fellow wanderers on the trail. Uh, I think my favorite day of this 365-day ramble uh, is day 216. To me, the heart of the book is uh, when you say, we hike to listen, to quiet, to get in shape, to watch birds, access uh, mountaintops and meditate, and to de-stress. Yeah, first world problems, but I love the thoughts that you shared about that day. The reason why we venture out in the first place, um, you, you say it's multifaceted and overlapping and nuanced, but there are some, uh, common denominators around getting out of the human built environment. And, uh, so me, as I, as I said in the introduction of the book and and earlier drafts of this book contain more of this material but i thought it was kind of depressing i i I started being a woods wanderer at a very young age because i i grew up my my first 12 years were spent in the northern adirondack mountains in new york which is extremely wild country and it was my backyard and i and as you alluded to earlier i was pretty much a free-range kid i was allowed to wander i was encouraged to wander but the, the, the main thing about that was I came from an extremely dysfunctional uh, uh, domestic environment and a, a, viol- a violently dysfunctional uh, domestic environment. So the so the uh, so I, I became a woods wanderer, at least partially to, to just to just sort of get out of the house and to get into a quiet place, um, a quiet and safe place. Although it's kind of a weird thought, you know, 
going to the safety of a place that has mountain lions and bears and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the, the rest of it sort of evolved as I started wandering further afield. But yeah, it is, it is all of those things that you just mentioned. And there's one more for me, and I probably have this intertwined in the narrative somewhere. I, I am an avid daydreamer. I get lost in thought uh, as I hike. And that is where I actually do most of my quote-unquote writing. I mean, I'm obviously not writing as I'm walking on the trail, but I'm thinking of the things that when I get home, I will write about. And, and I, I really, I really do let my mind wander. I, I either make my wa- mind wander or I let my mind wander when I, when I hit the trail. And, uh, the, that's almost where all of my, all of my creative ideas, uh, come from. And, and the, the only, or the main grounding thing is the fact that I'm in, in the woods with my dog and, and you have to pay, you can't, you can't get totally lost in thought because you have to pay attention to your dog. And, and so that was one of the more interesting things about this experience was the fact that, you know, it, it was a relationship exercise with my four, my four legged canine companion. And I really gave thought to paying attention to her out in the woods and what interested her and what she paid attention to. And it was, it was uh, kind of a symbiotic creative environment. I fell in love with Casey, the dog, and it was such a moving, moving thing. Um, would you do a little bit of uh, girly whirly best ever would you as if you were saying thank you to her yeah and then the thing the main thing about Casey right now is that Casey's no longer with us no I did read I did read about that Uh, I wasn't going to put the spoiler in there I was just hoping you could speak uh, like like you do you probably still do in your head oh Casey uh, hiking, I still hike in a lot of the places that Casey and I used to hike. So in my mind, she's sort of still in my peripheral vision when, when I do these hikes. But I mean, she, she it, you know, I had an interesting relationship. My previous dog, Callie, uh, we bonded before we were all the way out of the animal shelter when I adopted her. Casey and I, it took a, it took a little bit of time. It was, it was a tenuous relationship for the first at least six months. And, and the way that we really came to bond, and our bond grew very deep, uh, the way that we really bonded was h- hiking in the woods. Um, she once, once she figured out what my expectations were, she became an exemplary trail dog. And she, she, she inspired me to be, my last dog, Callie, was a more serious dog. Casey was kind of a silly dog. And I, and I really loved that. And as you just alluded to, I mean, I, I would talk to her in silly ways. You know, yo, I got the best, you almost scrunches, best dog in the, you know, doggy woggy in the whole world. <laughs> and she, and she, and, and she, as long as I, as long as I was saying those words with enthusiasm and petting her at the same time, she loved it. And, and, and I would almost take on a, a ventriloquist role with her sometimes where we would have these conversations where I would take on her voice and, and she would look at me like I was absolutely crazy when I did that. But, um, we did that all the time. And or I did that all the time, and she looked at me like I was crazy. But uh, she 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 was she was developed into a wonderful trail dog. She could find trails really really well. She had good endurance. Um, she enjoyed being out in the woods. The only thing that she really had trouble with was that she she couldn't handle heat, and I don't handle heat very well either. <laughs> I live in Southwest New Mexico, 
Um, so, so we always had to be careful about what time of day we went out, where we went out, was, was there going to be water nearby, those kinds of things. Um, but besides that, she, she just turned out to be an exemplary trail dog. She, she had physical problems. She was not, she was never, ever a healthy dog. And we were trying to add up the other day, probably how many thousands of dollars we spent in vet bills (laughs) and just, it was too depressing to ponder. Um, but she blew up, she blew an ACL out one time when we were on the trail. She went blind for a couple of weeks, which we never did figure out what that was. Um, and she, she ended up developing a, a, a really bad paw, which is weird. And that bad paw became cancerous. Oh. And, and that's, and that's what led to our ultimate demise. So it was almost, it was almost ironic in, in how much time we spent walking that it was, a, it was a paw issue that eventually did her in. Um, so any, anyway, but we all know when we t- when we take a pet under our wing, that the biggest injustice in the in the history of evolution is the short lifespan of a dog, um, and we all know that's gonna that day's going to come, and it's you know it doesn't make it any easier knowing that it's gonna come. No, it it was uh, so moving to get to know uh, just by reading a long tangent about you and Casey and about the kind of. Uh, communication, even psychic, I'll say, communication, uh, wordless. Um, you you spoke also about your the place talking to you and you talking to it. I really loved that segment and that those uh, threads of those days in there where you were talking about talking with, literally, the place. Yeah, I live, in, you know, as I've said, I live in Southwest New Mexico, and it's called the Gila Country, G-I-L-A, and a lot of people mispronounce it. And it's wild. It's the home of the first legally designated wilderness in the world. It's having its 100th anniversary next year. Um, and what I wanted to avoid in this book was being overly didactic, was preaching, was saying, this is this is wrong, this is right, this is what we should be doing. So one of the ways that I danced around that stylistically was to have the the Gila talk to me, and and in that way I guess I I served as a middleman for the Gila talking to the reader, and that is, you know, it's based upon. I mean, you live in an outdoor recreation crazed area. Mm-hmm. I I lived for twenty four years in the Colorado high country, which is outdoor recreation crazed. The place I live in New Mexico is is becoming more discovered, and I guess what I wanted, what I wanted to get out of that section was I want outdoor recreationists to 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 think about their behavior and the outdoor recreation industry in general the same way that we look at the extractive industries to to apply that same degree of scrutiny to trail building, to overuse of trails, to um, real estate developments close to trails and close to ski areas. Because, because I mean, trail building, like I said earlier, tra- backpacking is, is, is undergoing a craze right now. Trail building also is. And we, and we act as though the process of building a trail is a benign e- ecological activity, and it is not. I mean, I've been, I've been paying attention to this for 40 years, like reading all the material. And the effect on wildlife, the effect on on, on bird nesting, the, the effect on it, it, it is 
is it as impactful as a giant copper mine? Of course it's not. But it, but in the aggregate, it's very, very socially and environmentally impactful. You know, outdoor recreationists, of which I am one, we have no qualms about driving seven hours to go hiking or mountain biking for four hours. And, and you know, these are, these are the kinds of things that we, we don't do a very good job of looking in the mirror and examining ourselves the same way we examine other economic enterprises, mining, ranching, timbering, whatever. And, and I guess that dialogue that I invented with, with the Gila, having the Gila talk to me was meant to, was meant to convey that without me coming across as being overly preachy. <laughs> and I guess time will tell whether, whether I succeeded in that regard yeah. or not. Well, you can tell uh, the passion around it. And I guess my question about it is, though you were communicating things um, uh, specific to the care of place and the impact that we have, et cetera, that kind of wake-up conversation. I was wondering if you have felt a personal communication as you're walking along the florets in the fall, uh, when the sun is hitting just right, and you're trying, and you're not even trying, you're daydreaming. Do do you ever hear something like a voice or feel a uh, feel that self of place talking to you? I don't know that I, but I do. I mean, if I'm understanding your your question correctly, but I, I will interject that I know many, many people who do have that feeling. For me, for me, what I would say is that it is a feeling of absolute comfort being at that place. I, I feel the, I feel the air on my skin in a certain way. Now, I've lived in the Colorado high country. I've lived in the northern north woods and the Adirondacks. I've lived in the coastal plains of the Chesapeake Bay. And each of those places are, are wonderful and have, have a lot to offer. But with, with regards to the Gila, I, I just feel, and I don't want to sound too foo-foo, but I, I feel it like it, it is my place. I, I just feel comfortable when I move. And, and not everybody does. We have one big vista on the way to the Gila Cliff Dwellings National Monument, which I think is our probably our biggest tourist attraction. And it's a vista that's on a cherry stem road into the Gila wilderness. And you can see the distances that you can see of extremely rugged terrain. Are, I don't even know how far you can see. You can see a long ways. And you see people from, with license plates from Minnesota or wherever, and you see them moving closer together. I mean, that they are clearly, they're clearly overwhelmed and definitely uncomfortable with what they're viewing. And I, I moved through that country, that country completely at, at ease. It's not to say that I don't pay attention to rattlesnakes and mountain lions and stuff. I mean, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the equation. As far as does, do I, do I feel it kind of talking to me? I wish I did. I wish I was that, that kind of person. Um, but I do, I do associate with a great many people who do exactly what you just asked in that question. I, I envy them. Um, I, I can try a conversation with the Gila because I really don't, you know, I don't feel it speaking to me in the way that I think, I think you just asked. I wish I did, and I love hanging out with people who relate those feelings to me. I'm pretty much a literalist, and and 
and literalists stick out in New Mexico. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never seen a UFO. I've, you know, I've never had a, I've never had an extraterrestrial experience or anything like that. But, uh, but, but anyway, so so I hope that answers your question. It really does. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. But but clearly, there's some kind of well. I don't know quite the word to use. You're the writer, all right? Uh, M. John Fahey, our favorite out here. Oh, hon. Uh, but it, it is some sort of belonging, a feeling maybe, rather than a sentence. Like you said, your place. You have a relationship with the place. Yeah, it's a, it's a connection. There's no doubt. There I, you I go. Comf- I feel comfortable moving through that terrain. And what I really hope is that everybody in the world finds themselves in a place where they're comfortable moving through the terrain and it could be birmingham alabama you know i mean i hope everybody it is fortunate enough to land in such a place now when you find yourself landing in many of these places in the west and i assume you have the same kind of connection with with uh the slick rock country uh-huh. i do uh, it is there, there is almost a requisite trade-off because a lot of us who have made the decision to plant our flag in these places that we feel connected to sacrifice, we, we sacrifice upward mobility. I mean, our retirement plan consists of, you know, never retiring. Uh, it's, it's, it's not always easy to plant your flag in these places. And that's almost a sign of your connection. If you're willing to live in a remote place that doesn't have shopping, doesn't have a Walmart, um, that maybe the, the medical care, maybe you need to go two hours away to a hospital. I mean, there, there's, you know, it's, I guess if you're really rich, there are a lot of rich people moving in the mountain time zone now, as I'm sure you know, um, maybe, maybe you can overcome some of this stuff. But, it, you know, it takes, a, it takes a commitment to plant your flag in a lot of these places. And that's almost a sign that you're in your right place if you're willing to do that. I find that tremendously encouraging. And I know a lot of people that are trying to, make rent in Moab used to be a much easier place to, uh, you know, live that life where you get to have a lot more time to be in the landscape uh, without it really, you know, and still make rent. It's harder, I know, the world over, but um, I, I, I feel like you're telling people that they're on purpose this way. If they find themselves in their spot to enjoy it right get out in it walk in it yeah no no matter how old you are today is 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 part of your future good old days and or not everybody can pull it off i mean like you just alluded to it's i'm in steamboat springs right now sitting in, in, in a very nice neighborhood in steamboat springs and people can't afford to live here anymore the kids you know they go off to college they can't come back there's no there's no way to get your foot in the door and i assume moab it's much the same way mm. Um, so it's even like you need to, you need to find a place that's close to, I don't know, you have to move to Salt Lake City, whatever you have to move to Denver and, and come up to these places on weekends. I, I don't know what the answer is, except that it cannot it cannot continue the way it is. And, and we all know that we all know that at some point businesses are going to be closing because they can't, they can't find employees and, and the quality of life that people are moving here to enjoy that the the the, the civilized, civilized aspect of that the restaurants the stores but they're not going to be able to continue and, and you know you can only build so much affordable housing mainly because it's not affordable i mean i say affordable housing but it's not 
and so something something's going to have to give and i don't i don't know what it is is it is it total economic collapse and sort of start over I am, I'm old enough and I guess lucky enough, and this maybe sounds contrary to what, what I was saying a half an hour ago, but I'm, I'm old enough that I was able to sort of get my toe in the door before the craziness that's happening, you know, the, the, the post-COVID craziness that's really making life difficult for a lot of people. And, and I just, but, you know, I go, to, I, I go out for a beer and some places haven't reopened from COVID because they can't find employees or Employees can't afford to live there, and I, I don't, Christy. I, I don't know. I don't know what the what the end game is for that reality, but it's getting harder and harder and harder in these mountain towns. And I really applaud, especially the young people, who are doing whatever it takes to try to to try to become part of these communities, to try to plant their flag. And it's you know it's 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 always been hard for the young people in the mountain towns, working two jobs, getting paid nothing. And I really applaud them these days because i think it's harder than ever i do too i do too uh lucky we have been and uh i'll say that there's a scrappy spirit in moab in particular that persists nevertheless and uh i feel that moab and you uh recognize one another in that trait you're going to be uh here doing a reading and uh kind of thumbing through the days of a year that you spent each day with wonderful Casey, uh, not just lollygagging, traipsing, but actually hiking. Um, you can maybe share with uh, the listeners and the people who attend the difference between a walk and amble <laughs> and a hike. Yeah, uh, thanks to Craig Childs also for helping us with the etymology of that word. Um Wonderful. Do you have any closing thoughts or a bit of an epilogue or just a, an invitation? Yeah, I mean, it, it, as always, I am really looking forward to going to Moab. I mean, my, my, my almost 50-year connection to the mountains a time zone has been really focused on Colorado and New Mexico. I've, I've almost exactly split my, my time in the mountain time zone between those two states. And, and I enjoy diverting to the slick rock country which i know about one one hundredth about compared to your average listener over there <laughs> so i enjoy and i have some friends in moab who are usually i'm usually only there for a day and I'll, i will only be there for a day on this trip but i have some friends who usually take me to some little secret spot which they know that i'm never going to tell anybody about and so I, I always dig it and there always seems to be a new place to go out for a beer i, I, I remember moab when you used to have to get somebody to sign off on a membership for you to get a drink. <laughs> and, uh, and my hair, you know, my hair down to my shoulders and stuff, I, it was really difficult to get anybody to sign off on a membership. But uh, it seems like every time I go there, there's a different watering hole that I didn't know about. So so it's fun. And the Back of Beyond Books is, is a gem of a bookstore. I mean, you guys are so darn lucky to have that bookstore in your town. And I, I've done a reading at the library before. It's a great facility. And I'm really looking forward to reconnecting with my friends there. I'll be staying with a, with one of your residents named John Kovash, uh, who I've known for a long time. And he plays in the band Phil Dirt. Uh, which he I, which he I, does. I've been an occasional backhoe in Phil Dirt. No kidding. Yeah. Well, great, great. <laughs> and in that, 
And uh, anyway, so so I'm going to enjoy my visit there. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, and I hope uh, your listeners are 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 going to be able to come out. And and I think it's a five thirty. Maybe they should call the library or something to find out. Uh, <laughs> lady's name is Jesse. I think that I'm dealing with there. Seems like a very nice lady. So I'm looking forward to it, and and I, I hope that you will be able to fit a visit in. Uh, to the library when I'm there. Uh, oh, you know it. You know it. At 5.30 or thereabouts on the 23rd, uh, thank you for spending some time in your busy whirlwind book tour schedule for a long tangent. Musings by an old man. And his young dog hiking every day for a year. He is the author of Mexico's Copper Canyon Country, Up at Altitude, a celebration of life in the high country uh, along the Arizona Trail. Bottoms Up, Fahey's Greatest Hits from the Mountain Gazette, uh, The Colorado Mountain Companion, a potpourri of useful miscellany from the highest parts of the highest state, and Smoke Signals, Wayward Journeys Through the Old Heart of the New West. Uh, His motto, When in Doubt, Go Higher, a Mountain Gazette anthology. Longtime newspaper reporter, contributing editor at Backpacker Magazine, you can find out more by visiting mjohnfahey.com. Now turning to Liz and Allison from Canyonlands Field Institute and consider the role that the natural world has on a healthy individual. Canyonlands Field Institute is hosting a mental health hike series this fall, and we have Liz and Allison. Allison Anders, who does development at CFI, and Liz Purcell. Here today, what do you do? I am a program coordinator for the mental health hikes. I started at CFI as a guide years ago, and I'm now studying mental health counseling in grad school and um, have been working on this program with Allison to create um, this new thing that CFI is doing for the community. Well, we're very excited about it. Uh, I know that it's based on the success of the first round of CFI Mental Health Hikes. I appreciate both of you being on This Week in Moab today with me. I know that Canyonlands Field Institute has decided to bring this program back on a more permanent basis. And so delighted that we have some program series that are there to provide this safe space. This is one of these words we or phrases we hear a lot right now. And the out of doors has uh, almost a mystical capacity, doesn't it, to uh, help elicit a sense of grounded safety. Can you describe to us both the program and how that is? Describe that mystery a little bit. So on our mental health hikes, we focus on taking people from the community, local communities, residents into the places that we have access to that are all around Moab. And we're not just going outside, but we are having group discussions. We're coordinating self-reflection time, teaching skills to prevent mental health challenges and maintain mental health. And through that, trying to build a community of people in Moab that want to talk about mental health and want to take care of themselves in nature. Yeah, so this uh, improvement of physical, mental, emotional well-being, it may seem kind of 
obvious that you feel better after a little walk outside, sitting under a tree, watching flowers, birds, etc. Do you have any uh, background about the science of how that works to help restore or improve mental um, spirit well-being? Yeah, we do. So, according to the American Psychological Association, time outside improves attention, lowers stress, improves mood, reduces risks of psychiatric disorders, and increases empathy and cooperation. And research also shows that time in nature is associated with happiness, well-being, positive social interactions, meaning and life purpose as well as less mental distress. Um, so on mental health hikes, we are working to take care of our, ourselves and each other in nature. Lovely. So good. I know that you've spent some time designing them, uh, creating these opportunities for, it's, it's not just individual, but kind of community well-being. Uh, the people coming together and learning tangible skills for maintaining health. What are some, give me an example of uh, a sort of group outside tangible skill set that you would, um, you know, learn on these hikes. One of the themes of our hikes was an emotional awareness theme. And we went to Moonflower Canyon and focused our whole program on how to identify different types of emotions, how to speak to them, to others in a way that is assertive and straightforward, and then also how to provide a space for other people to talk about emotions and then reflect those emotions back to them in a way that promotes this emotional safety and kind of connection among individuals. So immersion and also just the learning through being there. That's so part of CFI's uh mission, isn't it? Um, yeah, part of, a big part of CFI's mission is connection to plates on the Colorado Plateau in an attempt to um, rejuvenate the human spirit and inspire care of wild places. And so we teach these skills in environments that are wild and natural while also being relevant to the modern world. Experiential education was the phrase I was trying to remember that's been part of CFI's mission from the start. Uh, The Renewed series, you have let me know that uh, you guys are going to provide two hikes a month. Is this right? Yes. So we are now offering two hikes a month. One is a shorter hike, two hours from 6 to 8 on a Wednesday. Um, we coordinated that hike with based on feedback that a lot of people in Moab work on weekends. So a shorter hike close to town is more accessible for a lot of the Moab community. And then we also will have a longer hike on a Sunday. And that one will be a more in-depth lesson, highlighting guest experts and um, going on longer hikes. Great. And this is free and open to members of the Moab public, right? Um, yes, correct. It is free, and we also provide food and transportation for the longer hikes. 
Okay, and so you said 6 to 8, and you don't mean in the morning. Oh, yeah, 6 to 8 p.m., so it's like an after-work um, shorter hike. Okay, and then that's right near dinner time. What are you doing to mitigate hunger? Um, we will have snacks. So Moonflower Cooperative it had been really generous. We received the Seeds to Start grant. So every mental health hike will have food. Um, the shorter hikes will have snacks, and then the longer hikes will have snacks as well as a lunch. Yes, it, it, it helps the body cope. Um, yeah. So why did CFI decide to bring this back, do you think? Why now? Um, so the reason that we kind of thought of this idea, um, the idea came to me in 2020 when I was kind of, you know, going through my own mental health struggles and I realized how important time and nature was for my own personal healing. So I kind of wanted to create a space where people can come together and, um, tap into that source of healing as well. I think right now, especially coming out of um, a really traumatic time during the pandemic, um, people are feeling very isolated. Um, we need opportunities to come together to build community, make new connections, um, find connections to the outdoors, and um, yeah, just come together to find healing with our community. It's a beautiful thing. You were talking about themes uh, for exploration and discovery while you're out there for each of these hikes. Describe these themes a little bit. Yeah, so we've been thinking of themes just based on um, topics that we're personally interested in learning about. Um, so some themes that are coming up month's theme is relationships to technology so we're thinking about building healthy relationships with technology uh, and then next month we will be learning about tapping into creativity so learning about how creativity can be a tool for inspiration and maintaining mental health um, and then the next month we will be learning about gratitude um, so how grat um, gratitude mindset can um, be inspiring and then in december we will be learning about resting as a tool for healing so finding time to rest and uh recalibrate and then finally for january our theme is the growth mindset so focusing on goals and um yeah investing in ourselves and very much according to kind of what's going on in the community and around um you know some of these wonderful traditions we already have um, with Thanksgiving, et cetera, and rest. And uh, so uh, weaving with the context of the time that we live in. So we're talking about two times a month. Uh, let's see if I've got this right. Is it like the first and third? No, second and fourth. Second Wednesday, fourth Sunday. Is this right? What are the dates then for September? So it's in general, it will be the second Wednesday and the last Sunday, but there are a few where we were able to make those dates work just with Liz and I's schedule. So there are a few that are like either the week before or the week after. Um, 
just because, yeah, the scheduling was a little um, challenging. But we have our first full day hike coming up actually this Sunday, September 24th. That's great. Okay. And then we that's for mental health and technology. For tapping into creativity, what date is the first one in October? Our first one will be on October 11th, which will be the second Wednesday of October. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for going into the weeds with me and out into the field so that we can, uh, you know, institute and elicit uh, greater coping skills and maybe even talk about some of the challenges we have around feeling healthy mentally. Because... uh, Oh, I think it was Krishnamurti that said, uh, it is no sign of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. You say you have some professionals that are uh, walking alongside and helping us uh, work through these themes and come to a greater sense of ease and wholeness. Who are some of the professionals involved? We are excited for this Sunday because it's going to be our first hike that we have a licensed mental health counselor joining us. And her name is Kristen Godwin. She's going to be coming out for a couple hours up in the LaSalle with us and facilitating a conversation about behavioral addiction to kind of blend in with our technology theme. In addition, we really want to have Licensed professionals able to answer questions. I find that therapy and seeking mental health support can be very stigmatized. And so having professionals able to just kind of answer anything and eliminate those barriers for people is something we're really excited about. That's great. Uh, A a little free professional uh, tap in of information as well. So if people want to find out more about the dates and themes for fall and winter of this year, give us the update about CFI, its online home, phone numbers, etc. Um, yeah, so if people would like to find out more information, they can go to our website at cfimoab.org. And once you're on our website, you can go to Explore CFI Programs. And then at the bottom, you'll see Find Community Events. And then on there, you'll find a landing page about the Mental Health Hike series, um, where we have all of our dates, more details about um, the hikes, and also photos from previous hikes. And if anybody has questions about registration, they can email me, Allison, at developments at cfimoab.org. Okay. Allison Anders, thank you so much. And Liz Purcell, thank you so much. I know that uh, you have had, it's not just CFI, you've gotten a lot of support from around the community. You want to give a shout out to some of your funders and uh, your supporters? Yes, absolutely. We are so grateful to have so much support from our community on this program. Thank you to Brand County for investing in this program through um, the community events grant. We have also received funding from Wabi Sabi through the Wabi Sabi partnership. So if you're shopping at Wabi Sabi and want to support mental health programming um, in our community, go ahead and throw a token in the CFI jar. 
And then also, again, thank you to Moonflower for giving us the Seeds to Start grant so that we can nourish our bodies with delicious food while we're also nourishing our minds. Ah, well said. I have one more question for either one of you, maybe both of you, and that's if you can share a brief story about a time when you've been outside. When you started on your outside time, you were in a sour place, and then when you ended, you were not. Can you tell me um, a magic story about, oh, say, a conversation you had with a tree? Ready? Go. It's hard to pinpoint just one uh, because I feel that most times that I'm feeling emotionally challenged and I go outside, I I come back feeling better. Um, Usually it's something in the realm of being on a walk and looking up and realizing that one very specific part of that sandstone is lit up and it seems almost like the, the rocks are speaking and saying hello to me and kind of reassuring me that no matter how hard of a time I'm having, that landscape can hold me in that. Yeah, it's really well said, Liz. I I have a hard time thinking of a specific time as well, but I think for me, going out into nature has been really essential for my healing. It's a place where I can kind of put away the distractions. I can walk away from all of the things that are weighing on me and really find joy and inspiration in all the little details around me. I find um, similar inspiration to Liz is like noticing the details of the earth and paying attention as a little bug crawls through the sand and what their little tracks look like behind them can be um, grounding into just the wonder of the world around me. Thank you for going into the personal with me today and with our listeners here on KCMU today and reminding them that, yeah, we share this place and it has uh, healing properties. Um, Thank you both, Allison Anders and Liz Purcell of CFI Today, talking about mental health hike series here uh, just underway through CFI. Thank you very much for coming up today. Thank you so much, Christy. Thank you for having us and sharing your curiosity about mental health and nature. 